This episode is sponsored by Fire and Fuel Coaching, where I help you discover who you are and where you want to go, both on and off the job. For more information, please reach out to me at my Instagram handle at Jerry Fire and Fuel. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Enduring the Badge Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Dean Lund, and I don't want you to miss an upcoming episode, so please hit that subscribe button. And while your phone's out, please do me a favor and give us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It says, hey, this podcast has a great message, and we should send it out to more people. So please take that 30 seconds to a minute to do that review, and just maybe by doing that, it'll push this up into someone's podcast feed that really needs this message. But before we jump into this next episode... I want to talk to you about you. I want to know, do you feel like you're not getting the best out of yourself? That you're struggling in your close and personal relationships? You have that anxious and overwhelming feeling because your home life and your work life balance is out of sorts? Do you feel like maybe you're working on your mental health and it's just not going anywhere? You're not getting the results you really want? I thought that myself before and I want to help you with that because I don't want you to be stuck in that feeling. I know how that feels too. So I have an offer for you. You can reach out to me for a free 15-minute discovery call. No obligations. We just jump on the phone, chat for about 15 minutes, and we try to figure out how to get you back on track and get the life you deserve. You can do that by reaching out to me on my Instagram or on my Facebook page. And for the Instagram handle, it's Jerry Fire and Fuel or Enduring the Badge Podcast. Or you just go straight to the website, Enduring the Badge Podcast, and there's a little coaching tab there and you can book a call there. My very special guest today is the Red Ninja. That's what he goes by on his social media platforms, but his real name is Kenny. Kenny is a instructor for Street Cop and Kenny has been out on the road being a drug interdiction officer for several years. He's going to talk about what it takes to do that, why he decided to get into drug interdiction, and the other main important thing that we talk about is communication and how to communicate. I don't care who you are or what job you have, you can always learn a lot from somebody like Kenny, who's great at communication. Now let's jump right into this episode with my very special guest. How you doing, man? Appreciate you having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. I'm a, I'm an officer in Indiana. I started my law enforcement career in 2007. I've been with the same agency the only the, my entire career. Uh, my first five years, I worked a general patrol assignment, ship work. Um, I had aspirations always to work uh, criminal interdiction on, on the highways. Uh, finally, in 2012, after bothering the right people, I finally got a part-time assignment up there. Um had some, I guess, luck or success, however you want to word it. And then in 2016, my department afforded me uh, pretty much a full-time position up there. Uh, occasionally, I have to go back and help out just because we're a smaller agency yeah. and uh, weather gets kind of bad. So they don't want me on the interstate when it's all icy and snowy. So I would say about 10 months out of the year, I'm working nothing but interdiction. And then the two months I'm helping out with patrol duties or SRO duties or something along those lines. Yeah. So kind of what's your background? I've seen you, you've got some pretty good accomplishments there and are you doing just uh drug interdiction stuff now with uh, a canine or is it just, just you? Um, so my first two years, I didn't have a dog in 2014. Uh, the PD offered me an opportunity to be a, a canine handler. So 
my first dog, I had that from 2014 until 2020 or 2021, somewhere around there. And now I have a second dog. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have the best of both worlds. I get to work interdiction and I get to be a canine handler. I, I, I'm loving life, man. I can't complain. Yeah. What's your dog's name? Uh, the new one is uh, Gibson. We call him Gibby. The previous one, my first dog was Mojo. Nice. Nice. So you're out on the roads and trying to do drug interdiction. Like that's a huge task. I mean, how, how do you, how do you feel about that? Because it's like almost like a monumental task. I don't know. I, for some reason, I don't know. I don't know. I don't look at it like that. I look at it like, um, I love winning a mental game kind of. So, uh, I look at it that I'm dealing with a higher level criminal and they've spent months, years, a long time to beat law enforcement. And then if I can beat them in seven to 10 minutes during a traffic stop, that is a, that's a feat in itself. I feel so it doesn't matter for me. It doesn't matter like the size of the load or anything like that. It's just winning at a mental game. I, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. They do. Right. That's the, they put so much time and effort. You've seen all these crazy, crazy videos and, um, watching stuff like at the borders and everything, you know, all these ideas to, to beat you at, at, you know, at your game, at your game to try to like, just pass by you, I guess. Right. Be undiscovered. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately their goal. They're just trying to blend in with the normal motoring public. And, um, what they don't realize is that no matter how much they can prepare, uh, your mind and, and your body is going to do things because if you have say, a 20 year sentence in your trunk and you go buy something that is going to put you there, you're going to have reactions. It's no different than if you're uh, afraid of snakes and spiders and someone throws one at you, you're not just going to stand there and like, well, let it hit you. You're going to do things that is going to they out of your control. Mm-hmm. Um, same, same concept with, you know, people that are smugglers that are trying to go undetected. Yeah. How do you pre- prepare for your, like kind of your mental game? Uh, so when I first started, I didn't have a lot of training, to be honest with you. Uh, I was kind of just given an opportunity and I went from a city to now all of a sudden working the interstate. And I, that was a that was a challenging in itself. It was a, almost like a culture shock. I'm used to, you know, cars going at max, maybe 55 miles an hour. And, yeah. uh, and that's on a U.S. route, let alone now the speed limit's 70. But good luck if anyone does that. And uh, yeah, I mean, just that in itself. So my first couple of years, it was a lot of trial and error. and. Uh, uh, building uh, a foundation of what like normal behavior is, what normal travel is, what normal conversation is when you stop someone. And then uh, that good foundation will start to, you'll start to see abnormal things. And a lot of, uh, I did a lot of self-training, like uh, books like Spy the Lie. And then uh, Sean Smart is a infamous Ohio State trooper. I went to his class and it changed my pr- perspective on law enforcement completely. Sean Pardesi are some really good foundational guys that uh, just changed my perspective completely and and catapulted my career to another level. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's really hard to train you up to to be at the level you're at now, just coming out of the academy. That right, they don't really prepare you for a lot of this. Yeah, in sixteen, I think sixteen or eighteen weeks in the academy, we had a three hour block of interdiction, and I was like hooked. I'm like, I want to do this. I want to do this. <laughs> my department didn't have it, so the first five years it was like. I, I loved, I, I mean, I love the job and I, ultimately my goal is always to take bad guys to jail when I went to work, but, uh, taking bad guys to jail compared to like taking guys that are working for an organization to jail is, 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 is 
a bigger feat in my mind. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So do you follow kind of your gut feeling at times too? Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess we all as cops have like a sixth sense, but for me, I'm trying to think I would, I don't like the gut feeling word. I think that like through your experiences and through mm-hmm. your training, you're going to see all these like normal things. And it's going to be like, Oh, you'll stop a car or for whatever reason. And you go through it and they're like, not being deceptive they're being honest and 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 you kind of get rid of it but there's always those ones that stand out and i think it's easy it's once you have that training and then you've used that training to gain that experience that gut feeling is easily explained in court because now you have all of these times that this normal stuff has happened all of a sudden like you know i've seen i don't know i've stopped a thousand cars Mm -hmm. this is the only one that has done this this and this and this so far yeah yeah that's awesome so you know, drugs has become your passion to to go out and, and do that. Like, why was it? Why was a drug interdiction? Um, so growing up, I had some family members that were that got involved in narcotics, um, and I hated seeing that. Uh, and I think that part of my passion to come into law enforcement was to um, to deal with that aspect of it, and not necessarily to arrest all users, but to fo- give them an avenue to um, better themselves in whatever way, if it was to give them, you know, avenues for rehab or avenues for something along those lines, something to help these people get back, uh, get their life back together and those types of things. So when I saw the interdiction aspect of it, that was something that was more appealing because I wanted to not necessarily mess with the users. Cause I felt like that they, the, if we can give them an avenue to get help, um, I don't know. I feel like they would have taken that instead of having nowhere to go. And, and they resort to whatever issues they're having. They resort to, you know, abusing narcotics, mm-hmm. but seeing like dealers and higher than that, even if I can have a small impact by taking some of those narcotics off the road that maybe, especially with the fentanyl thing right now, maybe, you know, maybe yeah, unknowingly I've saved someone's life by just taking, uh, you know, a kilo of fentanyl off the streets or something along those lines. So it progressed from small to like large but initially what attracted me to law enforcement was september 11th and then some family members i've had that have you know substance abuse issues yeah yeah that's a good thing good driving force you know to to get into law enforcement is you know 9-11 and of course the other drug interdiction and reducing what's available on the street can save someone's life for sure i totally believe in that with the the borders kind of being so porous I mean, have you seen kind of less in the last couple of years, like more of an influx of drugs? So what is crazy in like uh, during like the uh, COVID, like 2020, I'm guessing somewhere around there, it was crazy. The um, minimal amount of narcotics we were seeing and the high price on those narcotics that were in within the U.S. And then um, after COVID and, you know, the border started to have some issues, um, the narcotics are just, I mean, the flow is, is insane. And and I feel bad for the border patrol. Those guys do a great job. It's just, they're so overwhelmed with the amount of people that are coming across yeah. that they have to handle that. And it's just hampering the ability to to stop that stuff from coming in this country. But the ones that are out there, I mean, they're, they're amazing. The border patrol is absolutely amazing. They do a great job for the manpower that they have. And, and I mean, they smash a monster load. So I, I don't want it to sound like they're not doing their job. They just oh, have yeah. such minimal officers and for such a an overwhelming problem with the illegal mi- um, 
illegal immigrants. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. now you see, you know, the cartels preying on that because now they know that all these Border Patrol guys are tied up and they're just sending as much as possible into the U.S. all at once. It's, it's you know, they're overwhelmed and I feel bad for them. Yeah, yeah, I definitely do, too. I uh, once wanted to be a Border Patrol agent, um, but yeah, the, you see some crazy things there, too, you know, that coming across the border and how they're like we we're talked about sneaking it across. But, yeah, the preying on all the people that are that are coming in, I'm sure sending drugs with them because right, the chance of them getting caught is a lot less these days, unfortunately. Yeah, no doubt. And I yeah, I mean, they find some crazy compartments and it. it's just um I would love I would love to go work down there if I had to just if I could just work the narcotic. <laughs> yeah, I don't, like, I mean, that would be so cool just to see, like, because that's like, you know, the point that it's entering this country. And that would be that would be absolutely amazing just to see the extent that all this a, a, on a firsthand basis. Um, but the other stuff that they have to deal with right now, I don't know. I don't know if I would want to uh, if I would want to see that or I mean, yeah. honestly, I have to deal with it. It's kind of overwhelming and. And I don't like seeing people in those vulnerable states, honestly, like it just uh, it upsets me. So um, I can only imagine what they're going through. Yeah. Do you see like in where you're working that people are kind of getting forced into like running these drugs or something that uh, most of them are just willing to to do and risk it? So I me personally, firsthand, I've not seen where um, some people that have came over, you know, illegally and then now they're indebted to the organization that got them Mm -hmm. over here. I have seen people that are so-called friends or, or, you know, friends of friends that have preyed on people that are in vulnerable situations financially or, or anything along those lines where uh, they, you know, never been arrested and all of a sudden they lose their job and they have three kids and all of a sudden they get thrown this opportunity to make this great money. And I, and I, and I sympathize with that. Cause I'm like, all right, like you could either not do this and you could go work, I don't know, at a McDonald's mm-hmm. and are you going to be able to support your family? Because now, or, you know, you make this trip across the country and you're going to make what you would work at McDonald's in, in a month or two, you can make it in four days. So I like, I I'm, I'm empathetic and I understand where they come from. It's just, um, you take that risk, I guess, when, when you get involved with it. And a lot of the people that I've dealt with that are involved in smuggling usually are, have some vulnerability and that someone has preyed on that vulnerability with them. Yeah, sure. That's, that's the, uh, the war on drugs right there is the the vulnerability part of people just trying to prey on other people, I think is, you know, and, and making money to do that, yep, yep. unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want to go work at McDonald's and stuff like that, but I also wouldn't want to like, I'd be terrified to like run drugs across the country. <laughs> I'm the same way I would have, I would, I, like, I would like literally probably have a heart attack. Like there's no way I can make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dying route. There's no way. Right. And then to run the opportunity of getting pulled over. And yeah, it's uh, doesn't doesn't appeal to me. Thank goodness. What have you kind of like learned through your career? I mean, I'm sure there's been some probably some trials and, you know, come through your career. I mean, that's a lot of time to be on the road already. I mean, some some of the biggest things is uh, to understand like communication in that. communication in itself like people communicate different ways and i I, i've learned uh in my prior life i was a bartender so i like i was able to like i knew a little bit about everything just to you know have a a casual conversation with a guest at a bar to to it was more of like you know it wasn't like a a crazy like dance club bar it's like more like a sports type bar so you you Mm -hmm. had to communicate with your guests 
And uh, so I started to learn a little bit about everything. And I feel like communication, you start to read people and understand what kind of mindset they're in. And I feel like that translated a lot to working in addiction. And I don't put myself in people's shoes and, and start to be like, well, I wouldn't do this or I wouldn't say this this way. And I kind of just have, you, you got to have more of like a worldly view of how um, different cultures communicate in certain cultures, yeah. you know, like don't make a lot of eye contact We're you know, we're kind of hammered in America that you should talk to people and look at them in the eyes, but different cultures don't do it that way. So I don't put a lot of weight in the way that people communicate. I just kind of, you know, base a lot more on at what point do they change their behaviors when I'm asking specific questions. So I think that was a huge learning curve for me because early on, I'd be like, why wouldn't I do this? This is so weird. Why would I know? You know, and then I would, I wouldn't do this. So why would you do this? And, and that was a horrible mindset to have because so many people do different things that I would never do. And to just look at it through my eyes only was uh, detrimental. And it was a huge learning curve for me. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. That's awesome experience, you know, being a bartender, because it does give you the ability to, you know, talk with anybody. And I think that's right. You're pulling people over and, you know, just starting up a casual, probably conversation a little bit, and then, uh, you know, diving into maybe more of their life where they're become more revealing to you about what's going on. Yeah. And I, I try to not to be, um, the abrasive or the authoritative figure a lot of times. And I feel like being that bartender helped me just like be able to communicate like very laid back and uh, unassuming, I guess. And uh, people would open up to me at the bar. So I feel like that kind of translated to being a cop. People are like, I'm very like unassuming. Like I'm not asking like authoritative type of questions. It's just kind of, I just kind of go with a normal conversation and people say some, some tell me some stuff that I'm like, like, where did this even come from? Like <laughs> I have guys that are open up about like that. They're like, going to cheat on their wife and stuff. I'm like, and I've, I've known you for three minutes, man. Like, like yeah. it is crazy to me sometimes, but I'm like, all right, cool. Like, all right. I mean, I, you know, I just try to not pass judgment and just like make them feel as comfortable as possible. Yeah. Building up that trust once again yeah. to, and I, th I think when, once you have that trust, right, it kind of breaks down some of those uh, barriers for sure. Absolutely. With other people here are five tips. If you're feeling stuck in your life, still one, take full responsibility of your life. Don't be that victim anymore. You have to get past that. Number two, praise and enjoy the process. Focus on the journey when things get tough. Focus on the end, where you're headed and why you're headed there. If you truly know, those little things are not going to knock you off your track. Number three, become anti-fragile. Once again, don't let those little things knock you down. Learn a breathing process so you can get through them and not get stuck in that moment. Number four, cut out the crappy friends that are sucking the life out of you because you can't excel if you're around a bunch of crappy friends that are not going to help you excel. And number five, you need to cultivate grit and perseverance. Knowing your journey and having it written down and having a destination is going to keep you on track and help you with that grit and perseverance on getting you to where you want to be. Now let's jump back into this episode. Do you find a lot of officers want to do like drug interdiction? Mm, I, so I feel that interdiction is a, I feel that a lot of guys uh, are intrigued by it and they want to um, and they, and they want to have success and they want to have an impact. I just feel that it is a very, um, a lot of guys look up to it. I feel, but I feel that like, there. I don't know. I would say that maybe, I don't know, 10% of the, the cops out there, like, 
they might all appreciate it. I, I wouldn't say all, but the majority of them might appreciate mm-hmm. it. But, you know, like the ones that want to actually get out there and do it, I, I would say maybe around 20, 10, 20% overall. Yeah. Yeah. It's seems about right. What do you, so you're a part of a, a training cadre and uh, the street cop, right? Yes, sir. What, what got you into that? So I met Dennis in 2017. I was, uh, that was still early and I was still like finding like, um, new trainings. And I was always trying to bring training to my, to my department, uh, in a selfish manner, because it was like, I want to go to it. And I'm like, the likelihood of my department sending me is probably slim to none, but if I could host it and I get a free seat, if I could fill it up, like that was kind of my, my motivation behind it. So I met, uh, I, I got introduced to street cop through, um, TJ Collin, who runs a trap find, uh, training class. And then that's how I met Dennis. And then I hosted Dennis came out for a two day class. And I followed it up right after that with a T uh, with TJ's class. And then I met those guys. And during that process, Dennis offered me an opportunity to start teaching. Um, but I had personal goals that I wanted to, to meet within my own law enforcement career that I, I, mm-hmm. I didn't want to dive into something else. I wanted to keep focused on what I was doing. And then I waited a few years. And once, uh, once I met most of my goals in my career and I started, you know, I'm in year 16 now. So as my career starts to wind down, I'm trying to give back uh, to the interdiction world or police as much as possible. My goal is ultimately leave this department and law enforcement overall in a, in a better state than I found it. And uh, when I first started coming up through an interdiction, there wasn't a lot of guys that were willing to take me under their wing. Maybe in my state, there's maybe three or four guys at most. Everyone else made it seem like, uh, it was like, yeah, I don't know, like the biggest secret in the world. So but I always told myself, I'm like, if I ever get lucky or I ever have success, I'm going to tell everyone that wants to hear about interdiction on how I did it, because I feel that it's a great tool. I don't want it to go away. I'm very passionate. I love interdiction. I think it's a, it's an amazing tool to law enforcement. And it, I want it, I don't want it to go away. And um, I feel that some people try to keep it as close to vest as possible where I'm an open book. I will tell you my failures and my successes, uh, been a lot more failures and successes, but I will tell you anything you want to know. Um, just because I feel that if you can, if I can accelerate your career and it doesn't take you three to five years to, to learn that, and I can accelerate it maybe to one or two where you have that learning curve, that's a win for law enforcement overall. And we're all on the same team. It's us versus the bad guys that are bringing these narcotics in this country that are willing to, give it to our communities and and willing to let them die. So why would we not share the information that we have and that we've accumulated over time to, to help everyone else out? It's just, sometimes it's crazy to me. Yeah. Some, some people use knowledge as power, right? And then that's the knowledge that they have. They're going to use that as power over you. So they're not going to share their knowledge. Yeah. I, I I just don't understand that philosophy. I I don't either. It's crazy (laughs) to me. Right. You got to share your knowledge. So the next guy, you know, behind you, that's going to replace you has all that knowledge. And there's not this big, huge fall off and gap after you leave the department. My ultimate goal is to make whoever was to follow me in my position better than I was. And then continue to go that way. You don't think these organizations that are running narcotics and stuff are getting better? Absolutely. They are. So if we're not getting better. We're falling behind. Like we have to minimum. I mean, they're already above. They're already beyond ours with like knowledge and the way that they do things. You know, we're maybe getting ten percent at most of the narcotics. So they're way beyond us. So if we if we continue to play that game where I'm not telling you what I know, you learn it. I'd learn it myself. You learn it yourself. Like 
we're just falling further and further behind these organizations and it, it makes no sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree with you. Do, what do you teach in your classes? So I, I teach, uh, my class name is, is interdiction mastermind. I didn't come up with that. Dennis did, but, uh, I talk a lot about, um, just like a vehicle selection, what I learned, um, through my successes and failures, um, communication during a traffic stop, um, some tools that I use roadside. Um, a lot of it is, you know, just I'm using the driving behavior and their human behavior as a catalyst to kind of single out vehicles, um, and to help accelerate that also with like different ways the organizations try to hide where vehicles are from and, um, those types of things. I, I talk very briefly about like hidden compartments in, in there. I'm not, uh, there's some great guys in this country that teach hidden compartments. Uh, I'm, I don't have the patience that some of those guys have to like understand how they operate and stuff. So like, uh, Brad Gilmore who teaches for street cops, absolutely amazing. And, uh, I just don't have the patience I have, but I talk a little bit about it. I'll talk a little bit about how to find them. Mm -hmm. Um, Brad talks about how he finds how to open them and I just don't have that patience in me. So, uh, I can, I'll find some here and there and, and I, I show you how I open them and, and it's not pretty, but Brad will teach you the nice sexy way to do it. Yeah. That, I'm sure when I'm thinking about this, like, it's kind of like a, it's, you kind of look at it as a game, right? In some ways. Absolutely. And what, and I think about looking at it as a game, it keeps you motivated and interested and, uh, you know, keeps you driving forward and keeps you, you know, learning from any of those failures in the past. Absolutely. Like, um, I've missed things in the past. I've watched my videos and they're like, please don't find it. I've had, uh, you know, very humbling moments where I had to call cops a couple states away and be like, Hey, I, I missed something. I mean, it's humbling, but again, we're all on the same team. So I'm not going to be like, so like humbled that I'm not going to call and tell you that I missed it. And it might be in this area because that's where he was, you know, praying that I wouldn't find it when I was, you know, when I go back and watch my video, um, very humbling, but you know, now I know that I will never miss, uh, you know, contraband hidden in that area again. So, you, you know, I always look at the losses as more of a learning experience. You don't lose, you know, it's, it's just, you got to build upon that, that perceived loss. And, mm -hmm. and make that so you don't find or so you don't miss it again, kind of. So after the other officer found it, I had, you know, called him, had a conversation, uh, learned some things I didn't know. And I don't think I would ever miss a, some narcotics in that in that place again. Yeah, that's cool. With the this is kind of a probably a more riskier job than working in town, isn't it? I don't know. So a lot of guys uh, have asked me that, but I feel that. If you're going to an unknown domestic, I feel that you're kind of at a disadvantage overall. You're going to unknown calls, like screaming, and I don't like you don't know what is taking place. I feel as time goes on and you get better at picking out cars, you can kind of pick and choose uh, cars that you want to stop. I don't necessarily have to, you know, if, if I get like a bad vibe, I, you know, I can kind of just end that traffic stop right there. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I don't necessarily need to to continuously go forward with it or, or even stop the car. If, if I feel like, you know, if, if I'm, if the car's full of people and I'm by myself and I'm out, and I, I don't have to stop it where yeah. if you get a 911 hang up or an unknown domestic and you're the first one there and the next guy is not there for three or five minutes, you still got to go do something as a cop. So I feel like that is a lot, uh, a lot more unsafe than, than 
me picking and choosing what I can and what I what I can can and can't stop on the highway, I guess. Yeah. How do you feel about the fentanyl that's being trafficked around and the danger that that brings? Uh, it's cr- I mean, it's insane. Um, just this. I mean, the simple fact that these organizations are willing to m- make such a unstable and sh- you know shoddy product and possibly kill off their own clientele it's just it's asinine to me but i i guess it show, goes to show like they're they don't value life you know what i'm saying it's, it's all about yeah. they'll do anything they can to make more money and if it's to kill off the people transporting it the people to make it the people using it cops that find it like any of anything in those realms like they, they they could care less it's all about you know money to them and it's crazy the amount of greed that these organizations have yeah yeah definitely driven by the dollar i saw the uh, a video i think was this week of the officer the female officer that got the fentanyl and had to have three doses of narcan to revive her and like that's it's pretty crazy that is crazy i haven't seen the video yet yeah, she's laying right down in the in the street. Wow, she's been been exposed. <clears throat> did, uh, did like someone else roll up on her? Or was it uh like another someone backing up or like another copper? Yeah, it was another officer that uh that gave her the Narcan. But I mean, Crazy. it's so fast; it hits you so fast. You, you probably if she wanted to like give herself, I mean, which would be probably difficult. You know, it's too yeah. fast, too fast acting. Yeah, I mean, and I think that most of society knows like how dangerous it is. And it's just, it's crazy to me that they're still willing to put that in their body. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole nother level of a uh, risk. Yes. Yeah. What advice do you have for anybody looking to get into the law enforcement career? Law enforcement career as a whole. Um, I think law enforcement in itself is a very complicated career. And I think that you have to be able to, um, if I could give anyone like uh, the ability to communicate is going to save your butt a lot of times, or um, if you can't communicate, it's going to, you know, it's going to hinder you. And I think communication's the, one of the foundation things in law enforcement that kind of gets overlooked. Um, I think if you can communicate, you're going to have a long and successful career. And if you, if you can't, and if you're very authoritative and you're not empathetic and you know, you're very rigid, I think that's going to m- you're gonna have some problems during it. And I, I think yeah. as, as a, an aspiring cop, if you can, and I'm not talking about like a go to speech class and I'm like, literally just learn how to communicate with everyone. Like go to restaurants and just like sit down and talk to people. Like something as simple as that, go to the mall and just, you know, say hi to people and start a small conversation. Um, I was very introverted and, and uh, I didn't have that ability in, in high school or college or anything. So once I started to be a bartender, like I had to force myself out. And it was once I was able to get out of that like routine where I was very introverted, like it has helped me out tremendously. Um, I never thought if you would have told me in college that I was going to go speak in front of a thousand cops, I would have the ability to do that. I'd be like, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. A thousand people in general. Like I couldn't even, I think I got like a D in my speech class because I was so miserable. But once you're able to like kind of get over that threshold and kind of fight back that urge, it's it's so much more rewarding for me knowing that I'm an introvert and I, I don't, it's a challenge and I don't know. I like challenges, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think some of the, I hate to say this, but like the newer officers or maybe the younger generations and stuff like that are kind of at a 
disadvantage with communication because they communicate through technology so much? Um, I, I would say, I mean, there is, a, I think there'll be a challenging point, but I think that throughout history, there's always been challenging things when it comes to communication. But I do think uh, the way we text and the way we, through messengers and all these other things, like I feel like that is, most people communicate that way. And I, I do think that if you do not force yourself to have one-on-one face-to-face conversations, I think that in this field alone, it's going to be problematic. I mean, there might be other places that you could kind of have one-on-one conversations and kind of a, uh, other careers, I mean, and have one-on-one conversations and kind of avoid, but when you have to, when you're forced into, you know, cr- you know, difficult situations and then you have to communicate, I think that if you've only had those difficult communications through text or some other way besides face-to-face communication, I think that will be problematic for, for the newer generation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I see they don't have as many, I'd say sometimes like life, I don't know, skills or life events that have happened to bring them like force and communication, you know, out of them that they're just very, a lot of them are very introverted and that's just the best way for them to communicate, unfortunately, but that's not all of them. Some of them are amazing communicators, but definitely. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree there. I, I think that like, I, as a whole, I think I think that it, overall, I don't I don't think it'd be, but I do feel like you'll have some that have never had like a an, a, an argument or you know a, even a disagreement like face to face. It's going to yeah. be text or something, and I and I feel uh, I feel like that's where you'll have the problem. But I also I mean, there's some people that we have hired um, that's never driven a, a real world drive car, and then all of a sudden they get out in the snow, <laughs> and it's, it's like I don't know, like it, it's uh, so I, I feel like as long as you train yourself and you understand, like, I think that you'll, you'll be fine. It's just, you're going to, you're going to have to put yourself in those uncomfortable situations. And I would do it prior to having to go and do with someone that you have to now, like try to talk off the ledge, quote unquote, not necessarily the ledge, but you know, someone that's angry and, you know, argumentative. And now you're trying to deal with that and you're in a law enforcement capacity. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any advice for people that may be seen like drugs being ran or, you know, or something like that? Like, what would you advise them to do? Like a uh, civilian wise? Yeah. Civilian wise. I mean, if they, if they see narcotics, they, they could always, you know, reach out to me. I'll, I'll talk to <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, overall, I, I mean, I think once you get to a certain level, I don't think that these organizations are very isolated. So I don't think that, that it's going to be very common knowledge. Um, they're only going to, you know, let people that they trust see it. So, I mean, if, if someone else saw it, just like at Walmart or something, I, I don't even know, like, pl- yeah, please call me. But I just don't think that they're going to be that careless once they get to that level. Yeah. Once they're trafficking high, low, high volumes of, of drugs. Yeah. That does make a lot of sense. Yeah. <clears throat> what are, do you have any other training tips that you've kind of learned over the, the years? I'm trying to think. I don't know. I, I think interdiction in itself is a, uh, it encompasses a lot of things. So I feel that once I started working in addiction, I had to, I had to uh, look up a lot of case law to know what I can and can't do. And uh, when you're out there on the highway, you know, with a, with one partner that, you know, or sometimes, you know, you're just on an island, you don't have a lot of resources to lean on. So uh, I feel like as, as a young officer, case law is going to save you a lot of time. And, to, and, uh, and with that, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable of knowing what you can and can't do. 
So if I had anything, I would give that to, you know, aspiring or even young officers. The communication aspect's huge. And to know case law, so you know what you can and can't do. Know your SOPs, so know you what you can and cannot do. And all that's going to do with all three of those combined, you're going to feel very comfortable going into pretty much any situation because you already know what you can and cannot do. And now you're not going to second guess yourself. Second guessing yourself can get you in a lot of, uh, if you're hesitant in, in a situation can mm-hmm. cause a lot of problems in, in, in this one second could kill your life or it could take your life, you know? So, um, uh, or get you, you know, punched in the face and no one wants to get punched in the face. <laughs> right. Right. Kenny, where can people find you and follow you? Uh, so it, the street cop, if, it's www.streetcop.com is uh, the street cop page. I have my own Instagram, which is red underscore ninja 111. Um, I'm on Facebook and TikTok and LinkedIn and all the, all those good things. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on today. I really enjoyed the conversation. I think you hit it on the head, like the big focus of his, you know, communication, like it, it makes it, our lives better in, in every manner. Yeah, I could. I mean, yeah, if, if I could get anything across, I, I, that would be the biggest thing for me is communication in any realm is going to make your life a lot easier. Yeah. Before I let you go, what kind of uh, things can people find for his training on the street cop site? Um, so if you if you go to the street cop page, you can look up uh, interdiction mastermind or red ninja. Particularly, I could throw out some dates out there. Um, I'll be out in Utah in in October of next year. Cleveland, Ohio, September, Portland, Maine, August, New Jersey in June, May in Georgia, Colorado, Wyoming in April, and so on. Wow. You got a busy schedule. Yeah, I try to travel once a once a month to teach. Where are you going to be at in Utah by chance? Give me one second, I'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> and on this the street cop site, they teach a lot of different trainings, not just drug interdiction. Is that right? Yeah, there I think there's 40 different instructors and there's everything. Uh some of the guys there are are attorneys, but still work in law enforcement, and they know case law. Dennis knows case law amazingly. Um, those are some of the foundational pieces, I think, as any any young officer. Uh, Tom Rizzo teaches amazing amazing leadership class. Um, I talked about Brad doing traps. Uh, Tommy Brooks talks about he's a Boston cop. He's been there forever. He's a lieutenant. Uh, he talks a lot about. He, he teaches three different classes about guns and gangs. He's he's absolutely amazing. Um, uh, Mike Vaccaro teaches uh, like hotel, motel, airport type interdiction type yeah. stuff. Um, I mean, anything you can think of, I, I'm pretty sure Dennis has it has it covered with the street cop umbrella. I will be in Colville, Utah. Oh, okay. So maybe that, that's a small, small town, but yeah, Is maybe they'll, yeah, maybe they'll bring in a lot of people from the surrounding areas. So hopefully, it'll be it'll be my first time out there. So in Utah, yeah. anyways. Yeah, it's beautiful out here. So enjoy yourself and safe travels. And thank you for being on the podcast. And please stay safe out there and keep kicking butt on the streets and getting those drugs off there. You as well. I appreciate you having me. All right. Take care. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you access your podcast. If you know someone that would be great on the show, please get a hold of our host, Jerry Dean Lund, through the Instagram handles 
at Jerry Fire and Fuel or at Enduring the Badge Podcast. Also, by visiting the show's website, EnduringTheBadgePodcast.com for additional methods of contact and up-to-date information regarding the show. Remember, the views and opinions expressed during the show solely represent those of our hosts and the current episode's guests 